Well, hi, church. Thanks for joining me for some discussion on the sermon that I presented on Sunday. And I know that this uh, video um, tool is not the same as getting together and cross-training. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, um, wondering a lot about how people are thinking about uh, these teachings that I present I don't get an opportunity to uh, see people's expressions, to say, wonder if I connected, if I'm uh, being clear, if people have a confused look on their face. And, and that's particularly something that is lacking in a um, more of a Bible study format that we'll be doing uh, three times this week. And so um, I just expressed to you my um, my desire for our teaching today and Wednesday and Friday uh, to be something that uh, you'll consider and uh, please understand that uh, I'm I'm just talking one way and uh, sharing my heart with you. I'll be sharing my heart in several areas uh, this week and um, um, don't know if you're going to understand everything. If you, you want to say, whoa, I don't know about that and and uh, that's what makes these days very challenging. And so uh, let's pray for God to give us uh, his grace as, uh, as we seek to um, unpack a little bit of some of the things that I shared in a sermon format on Sunday and uh, see if we can have a little bit more of an expanded idea and discussion and consideration of what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. And uh, um, I'm not going to refer a lot to that passage, but once in a while I will. And uh, I hope you have your Bibles so you can follow along with me on other passages that I'm going to suggest with you today. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get together. So with that concern and introduction, uh, let's just have a word of prayer together and ask God to... uh, Help us, even with the limitations of one-way video communication, that we might have a valuable discussion together as we seek to more completely unpack uh, the truths that the Apostle Paul gave us in Colossians chapter 2. Lord, now I pray for everybody as we uh, share together uh, from your word. Uh, Thanks for the video tool that we have, but we entrust the limitations uh, to you. Uh, one-way communication um, oftentimes um, uh, works okay, but a lot of times it's it's very limited. And I pray that you would overcome that today and uh, give us grace with one another as we share our hearts together. So Holy Spirit, please help as we share and discuss together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sunday I talked about Paul's reference in verse 23 to restraining sensual indulgence. Restraining sensual indulgence. And I suggested to you that that phrase is talking about our natural appetites, our sensory appetites. Um, It could be uh, sexual appetites. It could be appetites for food and drink. It could be emotional appetites, the desire for a person to have attention, a person 
struggling with with depression or or some other appetite that they have. And Paul is giving us his take on how we might restrain those types of appetites so that we're protected from indulgence, overindulging in those things, something that might keep us from experiencing our walk with God. And he gave us two considerations. One, he gave us something that will not help with restraining those appetites. And then very implicitly, I think specifically, although he doesn't talk about it like this, but I think he does just assume that the alternative is that we would uh, celebrate our relationship with Jesus. And so today I'd like to expand on those ideas with an emphasis on understanding what the New Testament calls the law of Christ. Um, Paul says it does not help to have rules and regulations. But I would suggest to you that his summary, a summary statement of Colossians 1 and many other passages in the New Testament, is that instead of rules and regulations based on probably the Old Testament law, it's the law of Christ. And that phrase is given to us twice, at least in the New Testament, once in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and then another in a passage we're going to talk about more later this week in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. So now in Colossians chapter 2, Paul explains the folly of creating rules and regulations in order to control sexual or, or physical appetites and indulgence. And point blank in verse 23, it says it just doesn't work. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about this idea of rules and regulations. Uh, sincere Bible-believing Christians ask this question. Well, didn't God give us rules and regulations in the Old Testament? Wasn't it important for Israel and God's people to know how to love him, to know how to honor him, to respect his holiness, to know how to get along with one another? Isn't that why God gave those rules and regulations? But have you ever read Leviticus? My goodness, (laughs) Reading the book of Leviticus, a person is just overwhelmed with rules and regulations. And thinking about living under that system is like walking on eggshells, wondering whether or not, boy, am I gonna, am I gonna walk the wrong way? Am I gonna say the wrong thing? Am I gonna do the wrong behavior? Um, am I gonna fail to do what God expects me to do? And then, There's specific regulations on what to do when we do fail. And what happens if I, if I don't keep, uh, the right regulation on how to ask God for forgiveness? Will He forgive me? Will I be under God's judgment? Um, it just seems as though that, that there's this regulation after regulation and rule after rule in the Old Testament law. That's the Mosaic law. And we might ask a question that Dr. Phil McGraw sometimes asks, well, Israel, how's that working out for you? (laughs) It did not work. And just reading the Old Testament in a very, very survey type of an approach, you see that Israel really, really struggled in their relationship with God. Even though they had all these rules and procedures, it just didn't work. And I would suggest to you that it was never intended to work. 
Rather, it was intended to show us the folly of rules and regulations and law. And so Paul says to us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, he asks his readers this point blank, why are you following rules and regulations? Why are you doing this? There's lots and lots of rules and regulations for living as a believer that the Pharisees of Jesus' day imposed on people. Why, why were there all those rules? Why did people get attracted to that? Well, one of the reasons I think people are attracted to that is because it's comfortable. It's comfortable to have a rule to tell you what to do in every situation. Doesn't it make sense? Well, how do I do this? Or what do I do in this situation? Well, it's it's really comfortable and secure just to look it up and say, oh, this is what God says to do, so that's what I'm going to do. But that type of that type of life is just a burden. And Paul says, you know, if you're trying to learn how to live a righteous and Christian life, walking with God, that doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work in the local church. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need to have guidelines and procedures in the local church. We do. Uh, a church without guidelines and a church without uh, without procedures is a chaotic church. Uh, the emphasis of my ministry here over the last 18 months has been, let's create policies but let's make them minimal policies. And what I mean by minimal policies is policies that set a basic structure, a basic guideline for us that are, that are specifically geared towards fulfilling the mission of our church. And the mission of our church is to connect people with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and then to grow in our Christian faith in order to be more like Christ and then to learn how to serve one another. So all of the policies that we would have as a church should be towards moving us forward in that vein. But I've been trying to help us understand that those policies must be minimalist. We can't cover every specific little detail on how to do that. And so what I've encouraged us in the board has been very diligent and worked hard at, at organizing and creating policies that give guidance, but they're minimalist policies that we can then give to our leadership teams and then show our leadership team people that they are empowered to live and to grow as God leads them and directs them. So I, I would never suggest to you that we don't need guidelines, that we don't need policies, that we don't need quote-unquote laws. We do. But I would suggest that they need to be minimalist laws, minimalist policies. I want to commend our church board, um, actually commend, I think it was probably Pastor Nile and the church board under his leadership. We have a document called Guiding Principles. And this is the way that we have agreed as a church to lead and to conduct our business. And one of the things that they have uh, under how will we lead the church, point number nine says this. TLEFC does not follow parliamentary procedure. That is, Robert's rules 
of order in either its board meetings or congregational meetings. You see, I commend our church for that policy because, oh, it's so much healthier and so much, it's so much more gracious rather than to be bound by, well, Robert's rule says do this and Robert's rule says do that, to get together and say, but let's talk together. Let's develop a graciousness. Let's, let's pursue how do we fulfill the mission and the vision that God's laid on our heart? How do we do that together? And I would suggest to you that by having minimalist policies and then empowering people to follow after the Lord's leading will help us accomplish that much more than being bound up by, quote-unquote, the rules of order. And I think that clearly aligns with Paul's teaching in Colossians 2. In fact, I would suggest to you that Christian discipleship and growth and transformation comes not with creating rules on how to live as a Christian. Rather, I would suggest the alternative of living under the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Well, it's not living under stated rules. Um, Colossians chapter 1 and 2, and all over the New Testament, the law of Christ is revealed to us as following after Jesus who fulfilled the Old Testament law and then gave us a new way of looking at policies, a new way of looking at guidelines, a new way of pleasing God. Think with me about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system. We know that in the cross, he was the high priest, he was the sacrifice, We know that he shed his blood on the cross. We know that was sufficient. We know that all of the sacrificial system, the Day of Atonement, we know that the Passover all pointed towards that time when Jesus would give of himself on the cross. And so Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. He also fulfilled the civil laws of how to run a nation. Um, because no longer is there an identified nation of the people of God like there was in the Old Testament. We know now that instead of having a national identity, we have an identity as the body of Christ. We are not citizens of any type of one nation because uh, God has told us that the Christian community transcends national boundaries, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. We are to go among all nations and preach the gospel. And so instead, Jesus nurtures us and, well, how do we live as, uh, as people who are scattered over the whole world? And so the civil laws of the Old Testament are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, certainly we are to submit to the laws of our nation. And, of course, that's what we want to do during this time of COVID-19. Um, but the national identity is not our identity. Our identity is we have a citizenship in heaven, and our citizenship in heaven is based on our relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus also fulfilled the moral law of God. He also fulfilled the Ten Commandments and all of the moral guidelines that are outside uh, in, the New, in the Old Testament. And he gave us, a new commandment. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, 
where he was asked, what is the most important law? And Jesus summarized, love God, love one another, and this summarizes all of the moral teaching in the Old Testament. And so instead of the laws of the Old Testament, the civil laws, the moral laws, uh, binding on a person, we now have a new law, the law of Christ. Do you remember the transfiguration uh, when the disciples uh, were with Jesus and Jesus said, hey, you guys, wait here. I'm going to go up on the mountain. So he went up on the mountain and he was transfigured. He was glowing. And as the eyewitnesses talked about it, they said that Moses and Elijah were there with him. Moses representing the Old Testament law and the prophets and Elijah representing the Old Testament prophets. And then remember what the voice in heaven said. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I think that means don't listen to Moses anymore. Don't listen to prophets anymore. Now listen to Jesus. And then the Y witnesses said that after that vision was over, they looked up on the mountain and there was Jesus. Listen to him. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. I'd like to suggest that the Old Covenant law and prophets are now fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And then Jesus brought a new covenant. And that was always God's plan. Even the Old Testament talked about the fact that the Old Covenant is going to be replaced with a new covenant. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Well, if God's going to make a new covenant, that means that there must be a time coming when the old covenant no longer applies. And the new covenant is that which comes in Jesus Christ. Verse 32, it will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when they took them out of the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It will not be like the covenant I gave to Moses. It will not have laws and rules and regulations for how to live as the people of God. And so um, God gave a new covenant to the people of Israel, the people of God. And then in Ezekiel chapter 36, what is that new covenant? Well, here's what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning with verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put within your uh, a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You see, that passage, lots of Bible scholars, and I think they're right, is the one that was referred to by Jesus 
when he taught Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When Jesus taught that it is being born of the Spirit, a spiritual birth comes to the time when God gives us a new heart as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the old covenant is old. Now Jesus has brought a new covenant, a new covenant, a new law. And the law of Christ is what Paul is talking about, uh, I think, maybe not specifically in Galatians, Colossians 2, but certainly in Galatians 6 and certainly in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about the law of Christ. So here's the point. Rather than keeping Old Testament laws, rather than being bound in procedures and regulations in our relationship with God, the Old Testament law and prophet are replaced with the law of Christ. And that's the way that we live as Christians. That's the way that we have opportunity to uh, restrain the indulgence of our sensuous, fallen nature. I think the law of Christ is spelled out for us in two New Testament passages. I referred to one of them on Sunday. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's a law of the Spirit. That's the law of Christ. Remember when Jesus went... Uh, taught in John chapters 14 and 16, that when he goes to, to, to the Father, he will send someone just like him. And who is that? Well, of course, it's the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, he will come to us in his Spirit, and he will then teach us. He will give us life. And Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says, he will set you free from the Old Testament law, which is the agent of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, see, the Old Testament law was never powerful enough to transform anybody to restrain the sensual indulgence of our fallen human nature. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Well, we don't meet the law. Jesus who lives within us meets the law. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, the law of Christ is walking in the power of the Spirit. Look at verses 14 to 17 of Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So it's not a burden that the Spirit puts on us so that you live in fear again, so that you wonder, oh, am I keeping the law? Am I keeping this? Am I doing it the right way? Paul says, no, that's slavery. Rather, he says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, 
then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's the law of Christ. Walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is what gives us the ability to restrain sensual indulgence. This is specifically taught for us over in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. This is incredible. Now, this is, this is God's, this is God's policy. <laughs> it's not a specific overburdened policy. It's a minimalist policy. But yet it's a policy as well. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Okay? So we're free, but that doesn't give us carte blanche, a liberty to do whatever we want. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. And you'll recognize this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who gave us that command? Jesus gave us that command. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fall into indulgence of our sensuous fallen nature. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh, so they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do, uh, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the obligations of laws and regulation. Instead, we are set free to the law of Jesus, which is life according to the Spirit of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he goes on and he talks about sensual indulgence. And then he says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things <laughs> there is no law. You see, the law of Christ supersedes all that it it fulfills all that and those belong who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires that means that we've nailed them to the cross see the new testament tells us that Jesus was nailed to the cross at nine o'clock in the morning and then he hung on that cross for six hours before he died that's what we do with our sensual uh, fallen nature. We, we nail the deeds of the flesh to the cross. We give them to Jesus. But you know, they're not going to be totally dead until we reach heaven. So we are now living in that six hour period where we have decided, I, I intentionally go to Jesus. I nail my sensuous things that are tempting me to indulge in. I nail that to the cross. And now instead of being bound by rules and regulations, I now live free in the spirit of Jesus who guides and directs me because the Bible says that he has given me a new heart. He's put his spirit within me 
and he's written his laws on my heart. He doesn't write the book of Leviticus on our heart. <laughs> he, he, he writes the spirit of the law on our heart, knowing that Jesus has fulfilled all those things. And so how do we view the Old Testament if we are free from its religious rules and regulations? How do we, how do we think about uh, the Old Testament Ten Commandments? How do we think about the things that the prophets wrote? We think about them through the lens of Jesus, and here is what happens. As we look at the law through the lens of Jesus, here's what Paul says. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, um, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. The only Scripture Paul had was the Old Testament. And he says, that's God-breathed. And looking at it through the lens of the Gospel, here's what he says. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Through the lens of Jesus, the Old Testament is valuable to us. Not to bring salvation, but to help us to learn the heart of God. To help us to learn the holiness of God. To help us to know how God is totally and completely organized. <laughs> to help us to have wisdom and, and awe of our Lord God in heaven. There's even value in studying Robert's rules of order through the lens of the spirit-filled life walking with Jesus. So the Christian life is not a burden. Paul talks about us in 16, verse 16 and 18 of Colossians 2. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone falsely impose God's judgment on you. You've been set free from judgment and condemnation. We now live in a wonderful, charming relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's word is not a burden. Rather, it is a joy and peaceful walk with God by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us life. And in walking in this grace, keeping in step with the Spirit of God, we will find ourselves restraining sensual indulgence. I wanted to share that with you today, um, but, you know, there's a lot more that we have to deal with because now we have to think about how do we get along in the local church? What do we do in the local church with people? How do we nurture a healthy church body? And that's what I want to unpack for us on Wednesday and then make specific application for us on Friday. Hope you'll join with me. God bless.